eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Are you ready, Dr. J? I'm ready, Boomer. All right, your 1983 champ Sixers versus the reigning 2020 NBA LA Lakers. Sixers. Game time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest is one of basketball's biggest stars, Julia Serving. Presented by Geico. This week on Game Time, we have the great Dr. J, Julia Serving. Now, in the sports world, when someone of any age mentions the doctor, everyone knows they can only be referring to today's special guest. It's my pleasure to welcome Julia Serving, Dr. J, to Game Time. Dr. J, it is great to see you, and I've been looking forward to this interview for quite some time. (laughs) <laughs> we both grew up on Long Island, and uh, you are much more of a legend than I am, I can tell you that. And speaking of Long Island, Dr. J, so much buzz about the Brooklyn Nets and their big three, James Harden, Kevin Durant, and of course, Kyrie Irving, who spells his name different than you do. Uh, are yeah, you paying attention to the... Right, he does. <laughs> have, have, you, uh, have you been paying attention to what the Nets have been doing lately? Oh, yeah. How, could, how can you not notice uh, what they've been doing? Steve Nash seems to have a good grip on you know how to yeah. how to blend superstar talent and uh, make it work for the common end, which is to to win the game. So so I've watched them a few times. I mean, I, I enjoy watching Philly. Uh, I enjoy watching the Nets because you know they're my former teams. Um, you know the Nuggets. I watch them. I watch Indiana because they're former ABA teams. Yeah. <clears throat> and when you mentioned the National Coliseum in 45 years ago, you know that's when when the ABA was still around, and part of my job and my task is to keep the ABA alive. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a minute. I, I wanted to ask you about this whole notion of the big three in the NBA these days. Do, do you mm-hmm. like that players are able to try to figure out how to come together and play together, and especially with the way that James Harden left Houston? You know, I, mm-hmm. I didn't feel right about that, but I will say this. Since he's gotten to Brooklyn, he has played amazingly, but I don't yeah. like the way that he left Houston. Yeah. You know, I, it's a business, and, and you know it's a business. You, you put your 14 years in, play with three franchises. I played with three franchises in 16 years, 
And uh, it's it's really rare when one guy can just, you know, stay with one franchise his whole career. As great as Tom Brady's career has been, he's with his second second franchise. It might not be his last franchise. Uh, who knows? So I think it is just the nature of the business. I mean, ever, ever since uh, the rights issues were, were settled in terms of uh, unrestricted uh, free agency, you know, when your contract expires, this is not slavery. So... Uh, treat it as a business, understand it as that, and it may be disappointing to fans like you and I and, and, and others when you know you you get the game jersey, your favorite guy, and the next season he's playing for another team, and you're like, what am I going to do with this damn jersey now? <laughs> <laughs> we should make the players buy us all new jerseys. Now you know a lot they, of fans. They should know, just give them. They should just give them away, boy. That, that, that would be nice, yes. You know, a lot of yeah. fans don't remember this. I do because, you know, I grew up in your shadow. So you're, you're about 11 years older than me. You're from mm-hmm. Long Island. You went to UMass. But in 1972, yeah. the NBA draft, you were drafted by the Milwaukee Bucks. And imagine had you gone to the Milwaukee Bucks as, a, as opposed to staying with the Virginia Squires, you would have been playing with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Oscar mm-hmm. Robertson. Now, that's mm-hmm. what I would call a big three, Dr. J, if you would have <laughs> played with that. What, what do you think that would have been like? Well, you know, I was, I was young and untested at that time, so I don't know if I would have made it a big three or not. We would only hope. And I think, I think my agent's decision was uh, what dominated the conversation. <clears throat> he, he, he always said, you know, you, you need to play somewhere where, where you're going to be the star. Welcome back to Game Time. Our guest, Julia Serving, grew up on Long Island, where I did. He was also a standout, good, but not great basketball player. He earned a scholarship to UMass en route to the up-and-coming ABA. You know, you grew up on Long Island, and your mom would always take you guys down to her native South Carolina for summer times to visit family and things of that nature. And this is where I read where you really became aware of the Jim Crow laws mm-hmm leaving Long Island and going down to South Carolina, that had to be somewhat of a wake-up call for you. It definitely was a wake-up call. Uh, just the ride down, the fact that, uh, you know, she fried a lot of chicken and bought a lot of Coca-Colas and put in bottles of water in a, in a, in a, in a, uh, a picnic basket. And other than stopping for gas, uh, we were not stopping to stretch. We were not stopping to refresh ourselves. And once we got below the Mason-Dixon line, we couldn't stop to go to the bathroom. You know, you had to stop on the side of the road and maybe, you know, pee in a Coke bottle and then throw it away or whatever. So a lot of the things that were different about the South uh, were brought full frontal uh, to me and my my sister Alexis and my brother Marvin. And, uh, you know, we kind of accepted it as just uh, being the way that it is. You know, the fact that there are differences uh, exists and not necessarily, you know, became a, a trial or a task uh, for us. We just kind of conformed. And I, you know, I did what my cousins did when I went to South Carolina. You know, they took off the shoes and threw them in the closet because grandma wasn't allowing anybody to wear shoes or sneakers in the house. And the whole time I was down there, I was, you know, with, you know I was a tender footed guy from Long Island who had to walk barefoot. On, on dirt roads uh, a lot and uh, and cross the street if, if, if somebody of a different ethnicity was uh, was on your side of the street and, and it looked like it could be a problem. You crossed the street and, and you walked and you, you know, you did, you know, what you thought was 
the right thing to do. So that early indoctrination made me very appreciative of what I had uh, and what I had in Long Island because, you know, we we, you know, we I I went to an integrated high school. You know, Roosevelt High was probably in my year, 1968, my graduating year. I think our class had 212 students, half were black and half were white, or some mix. And, uh, and that was amazing. I mean, it was just like uh, an example of the melting pot uh, at, at its best. Our guest, Julia Serving, has been credited prolonging the life of the ABA by at least two years. And while he was there, he was also made the all-star slam dunk competition his own. He owned it. A lot of guys should be credited. Artis Gilmore, Dan Issel, the Kentucky Colonels, uh, George the Iceman Gervin, David Thompson. Uh, Marvin Barnes, even, uh, you know, we were commodities that the NBA wanted. And they said, if you want the want the guys, you got to take the league. <laughs> and so yeah. it got whittled down to four teams uh, going in and the other players, you know, going into the dispersal draft. Do you like the analytics uh, of basketball and how it has impacted the game now? Um, I think it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I look at <laughs> I, I look at uh, let's let's take James Harden, who we were talking about. You know, how do you how do you analyze his game? Uh, the way he played in Houston, I mean, he carried he carried the load on his back. Uh, there were many twenty four in the twenty four seconds, he might have control of the ball for twenty seconds. Mm-hmm. And then there's four seconds where if you can't get your shot off, you know, you throw it to a guy and he's got to jack it up or whatever. So I, you know, with the guards I played with, Brian Taylor with the Nets, Fatty Taylor with the Squires, and Maurice Cheeks uh, with uh, the, the Sixers, I wouldn't trade those guys for anything in the world, you know, because they knew they needed to get the ball to their centers and forwards and then let it come back to them if they were going to, you know, take a shot from outside a three-point line or whatever. But they were, they were feeding, they were feeding the guys who could score efficiently. You know, guys who shot fifty-plus percent from the field, eighty from the free throw line. This is what's giving your chance, your team a best best chance to, of winning uh, on the offensive side. And then everybody had to play defense. So a lot of the analytics, to me, you know, just boiled down to. Scoring the ball on offense, distributing, playing team basketball, and then stopping the other team on the other end. Uh, there was a time where you almost became an Atlanta Hawk, Julius. And there was a whole judgment that went against mm-hmm. you. Yeah. You had to go back to the Virginia Squires. But you played a couple of games yeah. with Pistol Pete Maravich. The Pistol, uh, the pistol was a, 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 a one-man wrecking crew mm-hmm. uh, in himself. His capability... Uh, the way he would run, handle the ball, the way he passed the ball. So it was really an honor for me, you know, to befriend him uh, during that time when I went to training camp with the Atlanta Hawks and then play two games, you know, before they sat us down. They said, oh, no, you got an illegal player. You got, they had to sit us down. We were scoring like 150 (laughs) in two games. We played Houston (laughs) twice. And and both times we exceeded 150 points in those two games, if my memory is correct. And uh, and interestingly enough, they said, "Well, you have a, you have an ineligible player because if he plays in the NBA right now, he's got to play with Milwaukee." 
So I ended up going back to play with the Virginia Squires and, and the ABA and uh, finished my second season there. And then uh, I was in a trade to the, to the Nets after that, which I played, played three seasons before, you know, the merger of the ABA and the NBA. Yeah, who says you can't come home again? Well, Dr. J did. We'll be back more in a moment with the great Julius Irving. Julius, you know, I've, I've asked you this a couple of times today about, uh, you know, your impact both on the ABA and the NBA, but your abilities in the NBA really started to flourish. And, and I remember in a, in a finals against Magic Johnson and the Lakers, you had one of the most miraculous plays uh, that was ever made and magic johnson was trying to cover you as you were going through this underhanded under behind the backboard play and magic said to this day it's still the greatest play he's ever witnessed in person and he didn't know how to react after the play whether they should give you the ball back and have you try to do it again so we could all see it again <laughs> or uh, or basically just try to play the game and just mm -hmm. with his mouth open because of that one particular play my point being your relationship with Magic and Michael and Patrick Ewing, how, are the, how is that these days? Michael's like a little brother. And, uh, you know, the, the, the rare occasions when I really get to uh, speak to him or say something, he's, he's always, uh, you know, just kind of humble in and, 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 and his own way. He's not like that with everybody. So I figured there's, there's an effect that I probably had on his life and his career. Uh, that he does uh, acknowledge, and you know, I, I paved the way for for him and all of his greatness to you know be the goat. Magic, when he decided he was going to leave school, uh, he called me and I invited him to Philadelphia to stay at my house. My my little speech was, you know, <laughs> you know, you 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 swim in a pond with with little fish. You catch little fish. You swim in a pond with big fish. Maybe you get eaten by the fish, <laughs> so you got to be ready. <laughs> and uh, and he came in definitely ready, you know, winning the championship in his rookie year. You know, it's interesting. Uh, you talk about Magic. You talk about Michael. All these great players: James Harden, Kevin Durant. I, I read where you said that today your favorite player is Kawhi Leonard of the Clippers. Why is that? Uh, he lets his game do the talking. I mean, you know, I, I was never like a real mouthy player, trash talker. And, I, and there were, in the era that I was involved in, there were a lot of people who, who started trash talking and still trash talk today. <laughs> uh, that's, that's never been my style. I think the influences on me starting back in Hempstead and in, and in Roosevelt, uh, you know, was uh, were a little bit different uh, just in terms of getting an education, you know, trying to uh, be articulate and, uh, being a good listener and then, you know, speaking up when you really have something to say, that's, that's when you're going to have a, a great audience. If, if you're not talking all the time, but you are talking some of the time, you know, sort of like the EF Hutton thing, you know, <laughs> is it, when EF Hutton speaks, everybody's listening. So, uh, you know, that was, that was my approach. And, uh, you know, it's, continued for so long now that uh, that I think when I when I do speak, uh, people listen to me because they know that it's something that's been thought out and uh, that's maybe been processed, maybe been vetted and and, uh, and and it's coming from the heart. Yeah, it's hence why you like Kawhi Leonard. Never really says much, just goes about his business. He actually plays defense, which is nice to see in today's NBA. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a it's a two way game. Uh, you know, sometimes when you're so good offensively, people forget about the defense uh, that you play. You know, I was watching the game last night, and they were talking about LeBron's defense. That he hasn't made any defensive teams in the last five or six years, whereas in early in his career, he was making uh, uh, all defensive teams. I thought the answer should be Anthony Davis is, you know, considered to be a premier defensive player, and then they usually only pick one guy from a team, mm-hmm. not 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 two guys. And uh, so whoever gave the answer, they said something different. Uh, but people are entitled to their opinion. And, and Kawhi, uh, he, he inherited my favorite player status from Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan was my guy. Then Tim retired, and Kawhi was right there. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, yeah, I, you, I think I'll stick with the Spurs, and I'll go with Kawhi now. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I think you picked two really, really good players because they do play both ends of the floor. There's no question about that. Hey, back in your day, did anybody ever mention load management to you about, you know, <laughs> we got to take a day off. We can't play this many minutes. I mean, this this is amazing what's happening today. <laughs> oh, I had this conversation this week. <laughs> it didn't come out too good uh, for the load management people or whatever, because, yeah. you know, they, we, we thought they were wearing bloomers, <laughs> and, <laughs> bloomers and skirts and bras or whatever. I mean, you know. I guess when you look at the value of a player and a guy, you know, if he's making $20, $30, $40 million a year or whatever, then there's a little more care and handling than it used to be when the guy was making a million or a hundred thousand or whatever. So there's more value to the players and now, you know, getting them through the season and getting them into the playoffs. That part makes some sense, but I think you really, you know, cheating a, once-in-a-lifetime fan who had that ticket to go to that game, that one Knicks game that they can go to in a year. And, you know, it's the Sixers coming in and Joel Embiid is not playing because he's on load management or Kawhi Leonard is not playing because he's on load management or LeBron's not playing because he's on load management and it's the only time to see him other than on TV. So, so there's a little bit of a disservice uh, associated with that in terms of cheating the fan. You know, but uh, I think our fans are kind of gluttons for punishment <laughs> these days anyway. So they, they let it slide. They let it slide. You know, and, and uh, I say I say amen to your answer. Thank you. Hallelujah for agreeing with me. All right, back with the great Julia serving, and we're about to ask the good doctor some questions that so many of his fans have been waiting a long time to hear him answer. Are you ready, Dr. J? I'm ready. I'm ready, Boomer. All right, your 1976 ABA champ New York Nets versus your 1983 NBA champ Sixers. Who's the better team? Sixers. All right, that team versus the reigning 2020 NBA LA Lakers. Sixers. Wow, there we go. All right, now I'm really going to put you on the hot seat. As I said, okay. Patrick Ewing went through this exact same drill recently. And okay. I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you two names. You only get to pick one. Now, I know that you respect everybody on this list. It's not about okay. disrespecting anybody. It's just about truly telling me who the better player is. Are you ready? Okay. Yep. Bill Russell or Will Chamberlain? Bill Russell. Steph Curry or Oscar Robertson? Oscar Robertson. James Harden or Reggie Miller? James Harden. Pat Riley or Greg Popovich? Mm. Popovich. Larry Bird or Kevin Durant? 
Hmm. Bird. Michael Jordan or LeBron James? Uh, Michael. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm with you on almost every one of those. And finally, okay. I, have to, I have to ask you this, and I can't let you go without asking you this. If you played horse against LeBron James back <laughs> in your heyday, how many letters would he lose by? <laughs> uh, let's see. H-O-R-S-E, five. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Dr. J, thank you so much. It's great to talk to you. Great to see you. Great to see you smiling. And from one Long Islander to another, thanks for joining us here on Game Time. All right. You owe me dinner. You got it, man. Anytime. Thanks, Jay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.